Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of The Dog Days. Uh, in this episode, we're meeting Mr. William Skeeping from Extinction Rebellion. William is an activist and is going to be taking us through exactly what we need to do to save the planet. And this, I think we're excited and a little bit nervous about this one because you read a few of their stats and apparently we have under six years to save this planet. Uh, we want to understand why and how we can do anything to change that. To do your best is no longer good enough. We must all do the seemingly impossible. Today, we use about 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can no longer save the world by playing by the rules. Because the rules have to be changed. Everything needs to change. And it has to start today. So everyone out there, it is now time for civil disobedience. It is time to rebel. Hello, and welcome to episode 21. Uh, today we're joined by Mr. William Skeeping from Extinction Rebellion. Hello. Um, hello, William. Hello, William. Um, just to give you guys a bit of an update and, and I guess uh, an introduction to William. So we've all seen the recent things going on with the rainforest. And I think Ian Jr. and I suddenly looked at each other and were like, we've not even spoken about this as a subject mm-hmm. on the dog days. And to be really honest, um, and before hopefully getting a story from you, William, as to how you've come across as yourself being an activist for Extinction Rebellion, um, we don't know huge amounts. And, and I think we are incredibly poorly uneducated, or sorry, poorly educated um, around the subject. So I guess I wanted to dive in by saying, firstly, thank you so much, William, for coming along sure. um, and joining us here. Uh, and secondly, I guess, where on earth did this begin for you? And how did you get into being an activist? Well, yeah, this is like, thanks for having me. Um, this is my first time I've ever done any activism at all. Wow. Um, uh, it's a really weird one. So I been basically ended up working freelance as a brand strategist, right. um, doing sort of basically working with startups, doing lots of my, I'll talk you through I, how I got here in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up, um, my first job out of university was Google. Nice. And I was at Google UK when they first launched in London. And that was like a sort of amazing, weird, like sort of, you know, before startup culture was a thing, before everyone was having a pop at it. And um, it was just like a sort of brand new, cool company. And it seemed really interesting, loads of sort of snazzy stuff going on. And I was there during the IPO when it went public and they had a bit of a brain drain and it all got quite serious and felt like I was working in a state agent or something. It was just like <laughs> deeply uncool by the end. But like um, when it first started, the whole thing felt very dynamic and it was this amazing kind of drive to do cool things and change the world. And it's really funny seeing that recent documentary that's been out. Have you seen that one called, um, called the, the, Great, the, the Great... The Great Hack. Yeah, Great, Great Hack, Hack, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's just sort of like watching something turn to shit due to oh, kind really? of like... Uh, well, not turn to shit, but just the culture changing massively mm. because the whole thing gets like a big money drive and everyone's 
making billions. Oh my god, um, it's like you know the film, just really good the, yeah, yeah. the film The Circle with Tom. Yeah, Hanks. yeah, totally. Yeah, it's almost the exact same thing, isn't it? It's like it starts really well. Yeah, or does it? No, no. I mean, it sort of it starts with great intentions of bringing yeah. people together, and then it sort of ends up becoming just like a money making thing, and everyone wants to be a billionaire, and that's sort of how it goes. But you know, no one's ever heard sort of you know I'd, I'd never even thought about anyone being a billionaire in no. real life no. at that point, it's two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and now it's like well, that's the sort of standard aspiration for everyone. Yeah. Um, lol. But the uh, <laughs> there's a social network did the movie did that didn't it? Yeah, I remember yeah, when I watched yeah, that in uni, it was like, wow, I need to make an app. I yeah, need to yeah, make yeah. It immediately. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just how do you just take something like skin it differently, stick a different sort of funny little whatever the kind of su- the suffix of the day is. I remember the whole thing like Gifly or yeah. like um, Tumblr. Um, like everyone had to have like a there's like it's a standard. L-Y, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Dot io being the latest. But um, <laughs> shit, that's my website. Yeah, oh no! <laughs> oh wait, no. Oh, no. shit! Oh, <laughs> um, but but so basically, I mean, like what I began to realize was that this is like so much of what we were doing that should be about bringing people together started being about kind of trying to get cash out of people. Right. And I remember thinking, like, this isn't that cool. And then a friend of mine said, hey, do you want to come and work at the record label I'm at? And I've started. And I'd already done lots of stuff in the music industry. So I ended up doing seven years at this record label called Lex Records. And, um, yeah, I was working with these, ended up basically doing lots of content projects and working with all these rappers and ended up having this guy called MF Doom, who's a big sort of well-known hip-hop artist from America, um, living in my house and I just got to a certain point where I was like shit I'm like in my early 30s and I've got this like rapper living in my house this isn't as cool as a, <laughs> you know as it should be um, I'm too old for this shit <laughs> and um, so I then just sort of got into sort of serious stuff like got a job in working with JK Rowling's people um, at this place called the Blair Partnership through uh, there's just loads of kind of like brand strategy mm. media-y kind of things and just sort of ticking along and beginning to realise that I wasn't going to become like you know, I was trying to sort of think of my own little startup ideas and try, trying to keep a finger in loads of exciting, interesting pies and doing lots of little random stuff, but all kind of hoping in my head to sort of join the dot somehow. And then getting to this point and just being like, I've had this nagging feeling at the back of my mind where I've been reading climate-related stories yeah. for a decade, 20 years maybe, of just seeing like the world getting shitter and feeling that I've ended up in a doing stuff where I'd started out my career doing exciting googly things and wanting things to be better and got to this point where just you know I was just part of a kind of media machine and just rolling along doing some freelance work traveling around kind of going to New York a bit going to LA for a bit um sort of not lost just kind of looking for something like where is that startup where is that thing where's those other group of people who want to make a difference Mm -hmm. like where's that sort of exciting innovative spirit of those early days of bringing people together and just feeling like you know it wasn't happening in the music industry it wasn't happening in sort of helping people with their crappy startups or their great ones whatever it was even working on a mindfulness app in america and that's where i went over to la thinking well great i can end up being sort of CEO or something of like this new thing and it was really well funded and it it was just just crap it's just like more of the same it's like you know breathing exercises aren't going to fucking you know save the day you know it's cute but it's like someone wants to make a billion dollars that's all it ever is yeah of course every time you went you kind of you stripped it away from everything like oh yeah there's there's a great purpose mindfulness anxiety renting Oh, it's for a billion dollars. It's somebody. Somebody wants to cash out. Yeah, like yeah. no one's ever. Got, no one's ever in anything anymore. Ever someone make money, right? See, someone. Someone's just going to cash out, and yeah. you're the sort of smarty pants they've hired in to kind of come Help up that. with some. Yeah, sort of streamline that process. Mm. And just got to this point. I was like, "Fuck this!" So I went to. Um, I kind of. 
I pushed the ejector seat button and legged it to Copenhagen, which has been my kind of secret white middle class Disney world for a long time, where mm. you can just go there and cycle around and poodle about. And there's loads of beautiful people. I've got a really nice gang of friends out there, and it's a really compact city. And it feels like sort of you know it really feels very clean there as it's well. Just the whole thing just sort of yeah. feels like oh, this is green. I mean, it's not actually. They've no, got like no, a massive yeah. you know, but it's just it it feels it if you're just mm. dipping in. It's weird you say that when I go back to Sweden and I come out yeah. of the airport, you, you breathe. And yeah. you literally bring that Scandinavian air. Yeah. Like, Seriously. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I definitely noticed in Copenhagen, though, the, there's, it's a cyclist city, isn't it? There's, yeah. there's, but, there's barely cars on the roads. You just walk around. It's just that illusion of kind of eco sort of friendliness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, everyone is just super friendly and smart and just like, hello, yeah, great. Oh, I speak perfect English. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, pirates yeah. as well, even thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, the humor's really compatible. But, I don't know, I sound like a Danish tourist board yeah. now, but like, got there and was like, this is legit. I could, oh, I love it. And then, um, just had this fucking nagging feeling, like going, "This is like an escape." I'm, you know, it doesn't matter how many sort of posh, like fresh seaweed drinks you have and dips in a lake, you're still the planet is looking like a big pile of shit. And it's been nagging at me for ten years. It's a bit like I've been describing it as people in polar research stations. Do you know about this amazing anecdote? Someone told me that like there was a really high instance of people in polar research stations that get dropped off in the middle of the, you know storm and the winter and the blizzards and the rest of it and they have to stay there until they can get a plane back out to take them you know once the weather clears up and apparently people will be sitting there you know just like minding their own business phd professors all the rest of it and after like there'd be a really high incidence of people just snapping beating the shit out of each other and they'd be like what the fuck is going on here this is like insane and it turned out it's, is this wearing all right by the way yeah, 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 yeah this is coming please, from yeah, the heart, yeah. apparently yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> 10 a.m or something anyway um <laughs> The, uh, the threshold for sorry, the um, apparently what was happening is you out the corner of your eye, people were just seeing like because in these confined spaces and open spaces, you'd see like somebody have a stretch or a yawn, and and you'd be like, oh, this guy's having a stretch or a yawn out the corner of your eye, but you'd be registering it as a kind of physical physical threat just because you'd see someone do a jerky move uh, okay. and you'd be like, shit, what the fuck is that in the back of your mind? It's like Lord it of the Flies. Of, it would just yeah, it would just escalate in the back in your unconscious. But do you think that someone's wow. gonna? He's going to hit you. Yeah, yeah. Or you just register that kind of movement, mm-hmm. imperceptible mm-hmm. movement, as a yeah. threat level kind of raise in the back of your mind. And you'd still be just getting on with the normal stuff. And then eventually someone would ask if you want a cup of tea and you just lose your shit and go full <laughs> like red mist. And just, yeah, you know. yeah. So basically, apparently, somebody told me that's the reason why they have dividers in open plan offices no or why that's just so that people really? don't. Yeah, because you just register all these things out the corner of your <laughs> eyes. But I felt like this has been registering out the corner of my eye, these like build up of like, 20 years of increasingly apocalyptic stuff in the face of more conversations of people trying to snag a billion dollars out of mm-hmm. like a blag mm-hmm. and it just got like this is nonsense and I had a kind of bit of a I wouldn't say a meltdown but I definitely had some kind of moment of being like joining the dots in my head going this is really screwed we're not going to change this I don't know what we're going to do so um, I phoned this is really creepy now I phoned a friend of mine's dad who used to work at the CIA, as you do, cash, yeah. and was like, um, look, I'm really bumming out about this. And I think he was sort of like, not waiting for the call, but was like, ha, oh yeah, little kid, like, what's up? You haven't done anything. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I'll put you in touch with this guy and this guy will help you out. And I was like, wow, God, I can't believe that. How sweet, it's so nice. So what, this, what have you called him up for, this guy at the CIA? Yeah, yeah, so I called him up going like, I'm having a fucking panic about what the hell's going on. I feel I've got absolutely no survival skills when everything falls apart inevitably. Wow. I'm, I'm now convinced that like everything's going to turn to shit. Mm. 
And I was like, sorry, I should have mentioned that. And yeah, I, was just on this point. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the penny drop moment. Yeah, I yeah. guess when you've gone, what the fuck is? We haven't had this moment yet. Oh yeah. Well, so I what mean, was, what was the moment? It was just like that that thing where all those points are built up over twenty years, and then suddenly, just like I can't remember what I read in the paper, it was just one more thing, and it just pushed me over the edge. And was it was climate it. change issues, or is it yeah, the, total the, the, climate? Okay, no, it wasn't total. just that you were frustrated that our whole society is just God, chasing money. No, 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 no. It was that sense of going like along. Sorry, I should have alongside all that like environmental stuff mm-hmm. you read and it's just like story after story water levels carbon emissions all that stuff industry thinking of people trying to make money and what that's doing to the planet yeah. so you just read these you know constantly going on for years and then just the, that moment of just going no one is going to fix this we, no one is coming along to sort this out no government has going like oh right what you know where is that bit where we all suddenly go right collective change globally no more carbon emissions let's just sort this out it just it just hadn't happened and it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, this, you know, who, who can I send three quid a month to? Greenpeace. For what? Yeah, yeah. Like, <clears throat> nothing yeah. is going to change. Why do you think nothing was like... Because no one's done it. It's just mm-hmm. like no one had done it. No one had stepped up and gone, right, you know what, it's time. Why do you think that is? I think it's, I think it's just because we've been collectively numbed as a sort of... Yes. As a, through culture we're in a rat through, race aren't we really? yeah no I think it's just been a really bad version of scare it's, it's like really lightweight scaremongering like I know Trump is a terrible person but the one thing he does is goes fuck he jolts you into going oh Jesus that's a... so it felt like Greenpeace I know they've done a few things but for one reason or another I, it hasn't resonated with me no. but for some reason Extinction Rebellion has and we've gone that's I think that's the bit because what, what's happened is that I think the timing's been just right but anyway basically so I got um in this sort of panic, got offered a chance to go basically to Portland and hang out with a bunch of preppers. I don't know if you know what preppers are. They're the guys who like literally uh, stockpile guns and hide under a tree and wait for the apocalypse. And wow. I thought, fuck yeah, that's going to be cool. This be going to be the rapper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought I'm going to become a badass. I'm going to be like, you know, John Hunger, Wick. Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah. Sort of ra- but I should mention I slipped a disc in my back at this point and nice. was completely incapable of like, I was hobbling around and thinking I'm going to be like lunch for these guys. Yeah. So, you won't be able to shoot a gun. Yeah. And with that back. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, okay, that's off the table. Yeah. What else is there? And really weirdly, a friend of mine just put up a, um, a post online saying like, oh, Extinction Rebellion's happening. And the logo, I don't know if you've seen the Extinction Rebellion yeah. logo, mm-hmm. but it's very, very hardcore. It looks almost like kind of... It's punk rock. It's, it, it looks it? almost like a... I mean, I think it looks like a fascist sort of symbol. It looks yeah. like it could be a sort of far right... Like, which I think for me, and I was working in brand strategy, I was looking at it and going, shit, yeah, that's got like... It's got a round sort of warmth to the kind of roundness of the logo and it's got these really hard edged it's kind of like a sand timer as well yeah exactly this yeah. is hard edged egg timer and this is like sharp edges it feels like it's doing something spiky it's not sort of smudgy whirly squirrely writing this is like it just and everything about that logo just sort of spoke to me and I was like yes there's something happening here that looks organised and mm-hmm. it looks a bit more hardcore than like you know a fluffy panda <laughs> so I was like but yes also great. looks quite cool you would say definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but I mean so got um, there's an invitation kind of Facebook saying come down to the launch day 31st of October declaration day and I was like okay this looks cool it's going to be a declaration wow. of rebellion mm-hmm. this is tight something's going to happen um, thinking there's going to be a whole load of people like me and this is going to be great and it'll be like a new move so booked a flight back from Copenhagen early got to the um, to this thing and there was just like a whole load of people holding hands and humming outside parlement and I was like oh, oh shit <laughs> it's the fucking hippies about no anyway they tricked me in with their yeah, clever logo yeah, your logo Why? but it turned out like A firstly we should be extremely grateful that have now worked out for anyone with dreadlocks who feels a kind of hippie activist look mm. those guys 
as I've now understood because I've got my cynical hat off, are, are like the first responders to an emergency. Like somebody goes, the climate's fucked. Those guys are the first people blocking a bridge, blocking a tree when HS2, you know, demolition squad are trying to knock down a whole load of unnecessary, like, you know, it just these guys are absolutely fucking amazing. We should be yeah. super grateful. Mm-hmm. And next time you see someone with no shoes on, uh, walking around talking crap about like whatever, just be fucking grateful for those guys. We absolutely need them. And we like should just be so thankful for them. Anyway, so my initial thoughts and my sort of cynical, just finished being a brand strategist kind of head was like, oh God, I wonder if I can do more to help here. So I just immediately dropped everything else I was doing, went full-time with Extinction Rebellion, went to the office the next day, got straight away plugged into everything I could get stuck into, met everybody, um, probably came across like a bit of a kind of corporate prat for a bit and then really warmed up and got my sort of sense of what was going on mm. and who and how to sort of help make a difference. Does it pay a salary? Not to me, no. no. I've just um, been sort of, I mean the really weird thing is once you get your head around how bad the climate and ecological crisis is, matter, you it? do not yeah. want to spend a penny. You don't want to buy anything. You just, I've stopped flying, I've stopped eating meat. How do you stopped, get to Copenhagen? Not now. I haven't been for. I mean, if I go back again, I'll take a train, I guess. But I mean, like, I used to fly a lot. Like, I spent twenty years dicking about on mini breaks, and you know, let me pop over to the Sonar Festival. I'll just come see you in Berlin for a weekend. A lot of that. Flew to America fairly regularly. You know, I used to go for a month at a time, whatever. But you know, I was in New York on and off for a few years. LA for a bit. Like, didn't think anything of it. Mm. Now it's absolutely gross to me. I feel like this deep sense of guilt that I spent all that time flying. I will say one thing, Extinction Rebellion doesn't tell anyone not to fly. We don't say, don't eat meat. But once you get your head around how bad this crisis is and how no one has been talking about how serious Mm. this is, then suddenly, like... You, you, you can find yourself making really quite extreme differences in the way that you've been living your life. Is it the time to ask how bad is it? It is, and it's really not great. Mm. Um, I don't think the prepper idea was so dumb after all. Um, the, so basically, we're in this situation where, um, I mean, I think everything that everyone expected would happen is going to that scientists predicted is, would happen is happening, and it's happening a lot quicker than anyone thought. So, for example. Um, the permafrosts that hold all these methane and carbon greenhouse gases and in Siberia were predicted to melt kind of 2090 worst case scenario and they're melting now in a big way and the kind of what the danger is is that one thing tips off another thing so the burning of the Amazon may release enough carbon in the atmosphere that it causes those permafrosts to melt which then in turn cause another thing to melt and before you know it we're looking at runaway climate change and the language that's used around this is people going well you know the planet's warmed 1.1 degree like what does that matter or like you know in my head i'm thinking weather reports you know oh, it's a little bit warmer in the summer and it's like well, you see it in britain yeah. we, we see but we're easy to see the benefits oh you, it's 30 degrees now we've got yeah, good summers but yeah. this is like the the thing that's going to get you is I mean, the difference between 1.1 degree rise in climate change and 2 degrees and what that means for the next century is when somebody says, oh, we're looking at a 3 to 4, 5 degree climate change rise, mm. what that means in real terms is multi-breadbasket failure, which means basically no crops. So that means people starving, like in the real sense, in the West as well. Mm. Um, global refugee crisis. So that means like a billion people from the equatorial regions on the move. That means like conservatively 100 million upwards 
that means war in the most extreme hardcore sense. That means like Syria, you know, on meth everywhere. And everybody getting out of those areas and they'll be coming to the beaches and they'll be coming into Europe yeah, and we won't have enough food here. And at that point you're going, well, you know, what did we do when a couple of shipping boats, you know, turned up on the shores in Italy and everyone kicked off about it, right? What do you do when there's a billion people on the move? You know, do you have mini guns sympathy and barrels? Them. Yeah, but you, if everyone's hungry, what yeah. do you do about human rights? What happens in this country? Mm-hmm. What do all the kind of, does everyone white just go, do you know what, actually you're a bit like black, fuck off, we're going to feed us first. You know, imagine Brexit crew, which isn't, I'm not saying we're pro or anti-Brexit no, here, but like, Im- you know, if you're feeling nationalistic now, imagine what you do when the food's running out. Yeah, so, exactly. and, and we're talking about like, there's many people who believe that like big crop failure could happen in the next, you know, three years. Civilization goes day two. You know, it's not like anyone's going to give a shit about your human What do rights. you truly believe? Um, I... I'm doing everything I can full-time working mad hours of the Extinction Rebellion to mitigate the worst effects of climate change. That's how I see this, which is if we can do something to get drastic action now as soon as possible, then we can look towards building a kind of healthier planet in which the worst effects, and we already have locked in now already for a lot of bad stuff to happen. So everything we've been doing up until this point, and by the way, it's getting worse. We're releasing more carbon into the atmosphere than ever before. Biodiversity loss is accelerating. We're like destroying rainforests, like it's going out of fashion. Like our habits are getting worse. We're not getting better. So when the government goes, oh yeah, you know what? Like we've been, you know, our targets and we're better than we were in 1994. Yeah, it's because they left out all the shipping and flying because they just couldn't be bothered to work out how to sort of... Why are we so oblivious to this? Because when when you're taught, I'm really like engulfed in what you're saying. Yeah. And it's scary. Yeah, it is terrifying. But why don't we know about this? And why are we so oblivious? Like, as a human race, we're just... Nah, it'd be all right. Because the media is absolutely, and and I don't mean this like, oh, the mainstream media. Like, I'm not talking about that. It's just the media in general is not communicating effectively this crisis. But shouldn't this scare them as much as it scares us? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't it? And that's, but then... Does it sell papers? It's boring because, like I said, it's numb. Funnily funnily enough, the weirdest thing is that it kind of might be turning out that it is selling papers. So Mm. there's an Ipsos Mori poll. This is like one of the big polling companies that go around taking like surveys and working out what everyone thinks. And the front page of the Evening Standard for the first time I've ever seen this the other week was... Uh, saying 55% of people in Britain are scared about climate change. and, and uh, No, 85% of people in Britain are scared about climate change and 55% are deeply concerned, which is like the top rung of like how concerned you can be. So Sounds so British. Yeah, it? but the funniest thing is like, look at that. The front page of the Evening Standard is an article saying everyone is scared about climate change. It wasn't saying this is the threat of climate change. No, it was still managing to remove it one step from like actually getting engaged with the subject, which is really odd because it's like you can't talk about it. You just have to talk about people's response to it. It's like watching Gogglebox instead of the actual programs yes. itself. Yes. And you're kind of going, oh my God, you're just removing yourself from this. You don't have to cope. But what was really funny was, or not funny, haha, but <laughs> the following week, the Daily Mirror Run ran a big front page thing saying climate change apocalypse like it's coming get fucking oh so ready. they gone the, yeah, the US but, style of communication well, in the media because you know there's no, that's they, always I think more powerful the, the states go we're all dying and you go fucking hell whereas we got right it's very polite apologetic you know 13% of humans mm. that, that's I think that has to be the, the, the tactic yeah we well, I mean I, it's one of many I mean it's right. the one that's but what was interesting was seeing how they had put that on the front page. Maybe they're having a slow news day and it's a nice big story. Yeah. Yeah. But but I, what I hope it was, was they'd seen these Ipsos Mori polls mm. that said, 
like people are scared shitless about this and you stick a big front page and everyone will run out and buy it. So, I mean, hopefully it's going, there's a demand for stories about climate change mm -hmm. and now they should, you know, media companies should be beginning to fill that. Do you know what's interesting is that when we speak about this, is I, I think I speak for all of us here, is we go through phases of caring, but because we're so hardwired to just get on with it and get on with your day and go to your nine to five, mm. is that I've, I've, a lot of the human race are just lazy to actually do things we that are. matter. My mum, my actually, you, you met my mum, yeah. she's so like really green, like she buys no plastics now, really makes an effort. And I went through a phase of like three months in, in Asia trying to, you know, don't eat meat, et cetera, et cetera. But then as soon as I come back to England, you fall back into society yeah. and you forget all these things that actually uh, could matter. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Okay, the bit, I think, because I, I really want to use this as a chance to contextualise and hab habitualise, sorry to use those two words back to back, but how do we contextualise what this is, but also build this into a, our priority so we don't go back into being hardwired mm. and shit. So the first thing I was going to ask is what three things are we going to see first? that will be immediate symptoms of how badly this is getting. And then after that, if we can, which three things can we do tomorrow that we have to have hardwired guaranteed? Okay. Um, sort of, I think the what you're not going to find... Right, the, the big risk is that what happens is we creep into a situation where eco-fascism is allowed to flourish. And what that means is people going, okay, there is a climate and ecological crisis, but the way that we're going to cope with it is by locking up all our borders, building a wall 20 times higher. So imagine you're Donald Trump, right? Oh, yeah, I haven't read the climate reports. I don't need to. I don't believe it. Right, it's very simple for him just to go, do you know what? I have read the climate reports. Uh, I'm going to fire all my advisors because they were lying to me. It is real, and now we're going to build our wall 20 times yeah, higher, yeah. and we're going to invade <laughs> Canada, and by the way, we're all fucked. Like, that's how you get fascism, like, overnight. And he just has to flip that switch of belief, and immediately the whole thing becomes legitimate. You can go, we don't need any Guatemalans in here. We need to get rid of all the Mexicans. This mm -hmm. is you know, just that sort of level of hardcore. So the first thing we need to do is just go, right, if you are, you know, any minority, if you are, if you fought for your rights, if people have fought for you, your rights, if you're gay, if you're female, if you're, you know, whatever, you are already in a vulnerable group. And this should be really concerning you in a big, big way. Um, because when things begin to go wrong, you're in the front lines, right? Mm. So the first thing I'd say is that, that, I mean, in terms of the actual risk to us in the West, in the West, like you know, these things may not hit us immediately. We may not suddenly run out of food tomorrow. It could happen very, very easily. I went to a climate change um, ethics talk at Cambridge. It was like a panel, well, not a panel. It was like a sort of symposium. There were like twenty of the sort of world's brainiest people. There was the astronomer Royal who heads up the uh, Centre for Existential Threats at Cambridge. There's like Sir David King, who's like mega advisor setting up a climate thing. There's all these like food experts from all over the world, scientists, people working on geoengineering. And then I was there and I was like the token activist in the room being like, hee hee, look, I can't believe that I'm in this room with these people. This is fucking <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's like, you know, it's like the most, it felt incredibly hardcore. Mm. And they're just talking, you know, there's this guy from Uzbekistan who's a food expert. These are Cambridge like top professors. And he's like, yeah, you, what you're not talking about is the fact that we're not going to have any fucking food. You know, and they're getting really insistent. And there's climate scientists who are now, you know, saying, can we swear in our next reports? You know, this is like as hardcore as it gets. So look, well, you're not going to get killed by a tidal wave, right? It's just not going to happen over here. Meanwhile, in the majority world, in the global south, that means like everywhere that isn't like, 
Europe, America, like the West in the South. So everyone in the South, like the billions of people there are already dying. They're already suffering from climate change. Like when the, like there's a big chance that their crops will fail much faster than ours, that there will be more war, that there were like all of those things, refugee crises that they literally cannot live, right? In India, for example, like Calcutta, maybe one of the first cities in the world to just be completely abandoned. I think it's got 4.6 million people. It's not that big, but it's like, when the water runs out in Kerala, like which as it did over the summer, or it's fifty degree heat, you can't grow crops and you can't live no. in fifty degree heat. Like you just can't do it. Your body just do- doesn't work in those temperatures for prolonged periods. So like that's already happening. People are already dying in the south, and you know, and animals are dying. And we shouldn't like just say this is all about humans. This is like we have a responsibility mm. to re-engage with the rest of the planet and all the natural world and start thinking the fact that we're not as special as we thought we were. Yeah, we've got the tools to destroy absolutely everything on a whim, but like we've got to find a way of re-engaging in a big, big way with that natural world. So anyway, where we are in the... I feel like I'm doing all the talking here, sorry. No, no, no. no. We we don't want to do any talking uh, in this. Where (laughs) we are in in the West, right? I think you're not going to get offed by a tidal wave. It's not going to be the sea level rising. It will creep up. It's going to be... Civil strife. strife. Yeah, yeah. What you can do about it, I think, at this stage is fairly clear. And that's why I've joined Extinction Rebellion. We need non violent civil disobedience. We basically need to go into rebellion. You need to come and join us in rebellion against the government. And I know that sounds like wacky. Mm hmm. Or it might sound like a big step, but it's not. So can I just quote? Yeah. Let's stay on point one then. So sure. non-violent civil disobedience. Yeah. So I like this because you guys speak a lot about, um, yeah, I guess being non-violent uh, protesters and everything else. I like <laughs> the disobedience things. Really, is intelligent how you guys are wording it. So you're saying that. What does that mean? Yeah. So explain. So um, the main tactics of Extinction Rebellion are to get out in the streets, block roads, create an economic disruption to what's going on at the moment in order that everybody has to sort of pay attention. Mm. And then the government turn up and the police and everyone turn up and they go, right, you can't block these roads, you can't be here and causing all this like economic disruption. So we're going to start arresting you. So then they start arresting thousands of people and we block up all the police cells and this all happens completely non-violently. So we have this massive rebellion in April and it was actually a rebellion. You know, it wasn't just a big march or a protest. It was like thousands of people ready to give up you know, everything, their freedom for this. And there were 1,100 arrests over 11 days. And during that time, there wasn't a single incident, which is like a police record. So like everyone is super actually trained in nonviolent behavior. Yeah, so like, wow. even if the police come up and start jostling you, which they didn't quite do yet, mm. but they have done in other countries. Mm. And like the police don't fuck yeah. about most other places. No, we're extremely lucky. in the video, here. you kind of just loose limbed and let them take yeah. you away. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, like meanwhile in France, people are getting tear gassed brutally by wow. like, heavy, hardcore-looking, sort of robot-looking police walk straight off set of Terminator or something. Um, <laughs> How does this, because I, I was going to make a point on that, yeah, yeah. Extinction Rebellion is an English-founded um, yeah. international uh, project. But Movement. Ha- movement, sorry. Yeah, not movement, yeah, sorry. But how does that then translate in the States? Because I can, I can imagine this, even in Portugal, the GNR, Jesus Christ, scary guys. But like... This you get shot in America. Yeah, you get yeah. shot, exactly. Well, this is it. So what we, we don't have like a one-size-fits-all sort of tactics book. 
I know it's one of the co-editors of the Extinction Rebellion handbook, and it's um, in shops now. This but is it's, not a drill. Uh, it's yeah, it's called This Is Not a Drill. And the first half tells the truth about the climate crisis, and the second half is like su- suggesting what we think you should do. And as we've had to do ad- adaptations for France, for Germany, for all these different countries, and we're speaking to all the local teams out there, and they're like, "Great, we really like the first half, but there's no fucking way we're going to use the second yeah. because, like, let's be honest." you know, lying in the street isn't going to cut it mm-hmm. when there's like, like militant dudes around. I won't shoot you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so especially, you know, America is just... And the weirdest thing is, this affects everyone, including the police. And we've got this radical transparency where we tell the police what we're going to do in advance. So we go, guys, we're going to block these roads between 9 and 6 p.m. And the police are like, all right, okay, like, we don't normally have this happen. Like, the protesters, you know, people are doing non-violent civil disobedience tell us in advance. So we give them a really clear idea of what we're going to do, and then we own it. Like, we just go, yeah, mm. we did that. And then the police can adequately resource that. So we're, like, not a problem for them. We're just, like, a kind of obstruction. Mm. But what we're trying to do is create economic disruption. So the police arrest thousands of people, block up all the prison cells, and the economic disruption is still happening. So you get to this point where you literally have, like, a gridlock where they can't arrest anyone else they've just run out of space and resource and and we're not going anywhere and then basically if they then go right we're going to get violent and they start hitting non-violent protesters then loads of people see that and go shit these people are literally fighting for us they're mm-hmm. on the front lines of this climate crisis mm-hmm. and you're beating them up that's not okay and then thousands more people turn up and then that's how you end up in the situation where there's just full pandemonium gridlock everyone's just sat there and the, and the government eventually have to negotiate what do you measure your success on then so I would I would say I'm not one of these people that would see you in Oxford Street and get pissed off because you ruined my day because I'm not that ignorant but I can understand <laughs> those people that do like, like there, there are yeah. people that you know they're on their way to work and you've caused uprest and I've seen interviews grill pe- uh, mm. people from your group because of that mm. but how do you measure your success then because you know that you're going to marginalise a lot of people but when you marginalise these people do you get more supporters in the, in the turn or it's changing I mean it's we don't actually need like everyone in the country to get behind us we want like a very large number to move and to kind of support us but I mean when we first did this for the first two hours there were loads of guys in white vans going you fucking fool fucking mm. and then like you know we and we had people on Radio Four and LBC, like everybody giving us a hard time, you know, just oh god, these hippies, whatever. Mm. And then they realised that we weren't hippies. That there's like school teachers, doctors, lawyers, like giving up their, you know, liberty for this. Mm. And it's a really wide range of people, diverse like age groups, a lot of it. And that's the point where everyone's like, fuck, this isn't just the hippies anymore. This is terrifying because this is like the actual establishment's beginning to sort of wake up to this. And Extinction Rebellion has just uh, suddenly got this different take, reviews, people going, God, do you know what, um, this is great, or this is really cool. Or, and then they realised that, the, for example, the, the protest we did on Waterloo Bridge, pollution dropped so dramatically that like people in nearby estates were like, we managed to open our windows the first time in 10 years. Wow. Wow. So like everything we do is about building a better vision than what was there before. Mm. So we turned four lanes of traffic into like a you know free gig, free food, skate park festival you know, in the middle of central London and everyone's welcome and it's super safe. Mm. That That's better than what was there before. So I think that what we're trying to do is wake everyone up to the fact that things can be better and it's only by visioning 
like a better future yeah. that we can avoid the risk of everyone going well oh it's all going to be worse and terrible and it can be amazing like if we all just get together and build community around this stuff mm. things will be extremely legit I think that's the, the problem because and like anything to get to a great place you have to go through some struggle I think the struggle ahead i.e. not flying you know not eating meat everything else it, that seems so unfathomable for a lot of people that they can't even forget the future world because I actually really like this world currently. Mm. They can't, why would I commit to those things? How do we make those people habitualize the things that are actually inconvenient and sometimes more expensive mm. to for a better world or a greater world? I think this is the thing, you're going to have to imagine something quite different as in everything's going to have to change. If we don't act quite significantly in a big, vast way, which means that everything's going to change then we're all fucking dead. It's that simple. There's no point doing anything like that's it. You can either do two options. One is you don't do anything, the world changes dramatically, and unfortunately it all eventually grinds to a halt. You know, it will just end. Civil disobedience will be, you know, very violent and people will have, you know, that's just the end of days. And the other one is that we really radically change society and that's something we can just about control in some way or we can have some kind of, decision making in that future mm. but it means that everything's going to change anyway so like whichever way you look we're all going to have to change mm. all of this do you think it's something that we as individuals can change or are you saying that we just need to wake up and let you guys do the lobbying because I don't know if it is as simple as like being serious is it as simple as oh we're not using plastics anymore I mean, is that actually going to make any impact I think the whole thing is what we're saying is going it's not about individual yeah. Stop. Like people can't keep passing the buck to you to go you've got to take flying. Because that's what I feel. It's like, just yeah. bullshit. It's mm. like the government's subsidising fossil fuels essentially to the tune of like $4.3 billion. Like we've got to stop burning anything else ever again. They're talking about expanding Heathrow Airport like or HS2 which is going to like carve. You know, it's just, it's bullshit. It's got to end. Stop letting people, the government, pass the buck onto the individual. We all need to get up and do something about this dramatically. And we all need to be involved in that change, Right. So with that in mind, we've got three really clear demands as Extinction Rebellion. I think this is where we're kind of making a difference because we're not just going, oh yeah, we're raising awareness. We've got three clear demands and this is what success looks like. The first one is to tell the truth about the global climate crisis and the ecological emergency that we're in. So that means BBC, everyone, news, government, get up and go, right, yeah, you know how we everything was business as usual. Turns out we haven't really been telling you the full truth and things are massively fucked yeah. and, and this is how bad it is. And that wake-up point, if we even get the government to do that, to tell the truth about this crisis and for everyone to begin to radically tell the truth about this crisis and even by having me on this podcast, I like to think that I'm playing a part in that radical truth-telling. No, like, and thanks for having me, that 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 will immediately wake everyone up to how bad this is. And that everyone immediately will then go, shit, I didn't know I was playing for my future here. I thought it was my grandkids might have to worry mm -hmm. about this. This is now. And then everything suddenly becomes a bit more acceptable. So this idea of going, well, I quite like my life now. It's like, yeah, but would you like it in five years' time when everything's turned to shit or 10 years' time, whatever? Or when the food runs out, you won't care whether you've got membership to Soho House or not. So like... <laughs> You know, like, yeah, sorry. All three um, of us. <laughs> a really big personal here, yeah. I feel awful. Yeah. Um, but then, like, the the second demand is that we go carbon net zero by 2025, which sounds, and to halt biodiversity loss. So that means immediately cancel all the kind of obvious things, like no more fracking, whatever. But Carbon zero by carbon, 2025. Which is, mm. which, and now currently the government's saying we're going to try and be carbon net zero by 2050. 
That's what they're saying. And everyone's like, yeah, brilliant, you did it. Yeah, woo, Paris Agreement, we're all doing this globally, it's going to be great, holding hands. Yeah, sorry, 2050 is a death sentence. Like, don't get me wrong, congratulations, guys, for negotiating an amazing international deal, which is difficult to do. But 2050 is still going to kill us, right? And at the rate things are going in the last three months of new news stories, burning fires, burning permafrosts, burning rainforests, whatever, like we need to do something very, very drastically. And we set this 2025 target as being something that would shift the conversation dramatically towards like something realistic. We didn't necessarily think that that would be possible or necessary, even though, so not necessarily but possible, but mm. turns out 2025, I think is probably like, you know, we should do this tomorrow. But so like, last, if we, yeah, year. this is like 2025 suddenly became a lot more realistic in the light of how That's great everything's got. So like, it's not just about shifting the conversation now. 2025 to me feels like something we actually need to do very urgently. And remember, the American the American nation can switch to a wartime economy in six months. That means where all production stops and changes to do something completely different. So like the British government can do it like, you know, probably a couple of weeks because we're much smaller. Yeah. But like this drastic change can happen. We just have to have the will to do it, right? Wow. Can I go a bit into conspiracies yeah. here? And oh, obviously, shit. yeah, no. Well, <laughs> go on. You know, um, my friend actually talks about the new world order, and he actually says the government does want the world to sort of, you know, the population of the human race to go down. They want an apocalypse. Like, they want an apocalypse. Well, that's probably not. Go on. Well, well you no, mean that... I'm saying that that could play a big part of why they mm. say 2050, etc. So they're trying to prolong people actually making a change and people helping. Look, nobody gets out of this. Like, this is the funny thing. This is why I don't really believe those conspiracy theories mm. because, like, I mean, I can understand how a, a politician would want to disrupt everything in order that then you can rebuild that society in your own image, right? That nice documentary, The Great Hack, had a lot about that. It's going like, okay. get everyone to throw their toys out the pram and then you can rebuild in the way you want it to be. This is about... So one of the pieces in our book is an interview with a guy called Douglas Rushkoff. It's a piece by, by Douglas Rushkoff where he's talking about how he was invited as a sort of tech speaker to go and do a talk to a whole bunch of hedge funders. And he was like, all oh, right, great, I'm being paid half my annual salary to go off and do this one talk tight. Gets on the plane, goes over there, um, thinking he's going to be mic'd up and goes into the sort of green room or whatever. And he comes out and he's expecting to be on stage and there's all these people and the rest of it. And there's just these five dudes standing there and they're like, and he's like, oh, we're not doing the talk. And they're like, no, 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 actually, don't worry about any talk. We've just got questions for you. Is that cool? And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, right. So after the event, we were wondering if we... And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what do you mean the event? And they're like, well, yeah, the event, you know, like when civilization collapses. You know, we've got these bunkers and we want to put like our staff and we've got working out like how we're going to look after our food stock so my security guards don't rob me and nickel my shit. How do I deal with that? And he's like, oh, Wow. And I think it basically turned out that like there's a lot of people who think that they're going to escape whatever and scenario survive, and already yeah, because they have but money. The reality is they're not. Like this isn't going to happen. No one is going to get out of this. What do you want to cut? It's like nuclear war. Everyone built loads of bunkers in basements. Switzerland that's compulsory. You know, like no matter how lavish it is, do you want to come out to a world that's completely screwed? You know, but like don't you think there's knowledge above extinction rebellions? Because I don't I don't understand how you can be so sure nobody gets out of this, then why would Trump or why would these people not be talking about it? If they're going to die and you guys know that, I don't understand where the, I don't know. Cognitive dissonance is. Yeah, you mean I just like, don't understand you, it. Because I think that, if, I mean, fuck knows, to be honest. I mean, it's just, there's a, I, you know, you're talking about people who have religion 
as a kind of prop or <laughs> who have managed to all work in it and surround themselves with people who are in a state of complete denial, mm. um, which I hope we'll cover in a second about denial because it's really interesting about grief. But the main thing we've got as part of our strategy, our third demand is citizens' assemblies to decide how we're going to get to carbon net zero by 2025. And this is really important. So rather than Extinction Rebellion going, you can still... We're not, that's not what we're about. We're it's essentially wrong. a conduit organization, a movement. So we're just demanding that the power is given back to the people to decide how we're going to do these things. Because whatever the government's doing at the moment isn't working. So when the government, if you said to them, right, how we get 25, 2025 net zero, how are we going to do it? And they've all been lobbied up the wazoo by like all these interest groups and take out for dinner by oil companies. And they go, mm, how about like a little bit less fracking huh. and one less runway at Heathrow? And, and that's not going to cut it. it. Like It's just not going to do its job. But if you go to the people and you go, right, guess what? Everything's fucked unless we do 2025. What do you want to do? Then they're like, uh, how about close all the airports, rewild the streets, we're all going vegan. Da, da, da. You know, And it won't be us making those decisions. It's the people. And what a citizens' assembly sure. is, is basically somewhere between like, hundreds and a thousand people getting together and these are things that haven't that have been run previously to help solve like big existential crises where binary politics just doesn't work so effectively and these people are exposed to like the evidence about what's going on for, with all fact checked and a series of solutions and ways to go through this and then they work out what the answer is going to be and what we should do and the thing is is this thousand people selected by sort of essentially like jury service style represent a cross-section of the whole country. So if you're black and disabled, you will see a black person there, or a disabled person there. If you're like, you know, white, you know, fat, fucking, you'll see some <laughs> geezer there who looks like you, you know, like... Oh, Dave. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, so, and then when those guys go, yeah, I've just been in this thing and I think we need, we need to do this and they come out and say this stuff, then, and it's legally binding, then people go, yeah, I, do you know what? I can invest i see someone like that has agreed that this is the way forward and this really is what we need to do so this is something gordon brown ex-prime minister recommended for as a way to get through brexit and citizens assemblies have been used in ireland really effectively to deal with the abortion laws and it came up with a really radical sort of solution they sort of said like you know it's got to stop whatever we've got to be fine with abortions yeah. so these things are not original this is like you know neither civil disobedience like this is something that's been going on for years like gandhi martin Luther king like this is not we're not the originators if anything we're lucky that all those guys have done it before because we just basically can read books about what's happened and there's yeah. an amazing guy called roger hallam who's part of our movement who's been involved in sort of theories of change over the years and he's um he he's you know, looked at these things, we've all looked at these things and gone, wow, what are the learnings we can take from them and where have people gone wrong in the past and what's happening now and all the school kids and Greta Thunberg and, you know, what's David Attenborough's new show where he's suddenly coming out going, this is really serious. Like, the time is right. The time is, like, now for this to happen. Like, all the sort of stars are aligning a bit. So this isn't, like, something that may have worked five years ago, but now it's just everything's got to this point where essentially we're a kind of justice-led movement. And what that means is we are concerned with inequality and balancing that inequality, which is probably why I started off thinking about billionaires. Mm. So to give you a sense of like inequality and what that means, there's one really nice stat which keeps jumping out. If you start counting now and you go, right, I'm going to count to a million. You go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It takes about 10 to 13 days of solid counting, depending on how fast yeah. you get, to get to a million, right? I'll lose my train of thought as well. <laughs> to, to, to get to a billion takes 32 years. So... When people start throwing around words that end in an, in an alien, like, mm -hmm. don't get, like, twisted. Mm -hmm. There's a massive difference between the inequality around someone having a million quid and someone having a billion pounds. And it's 
vast. So fossil fuel subsidies of 4.3 billion quid is like significantly more than the government giving 10, 22 million pounds to the Amazon, right? Yeah. It's just on a completely different scale. Like it just suddenly you makes you realize how insulting that is as a gesture. What was that tweet about the Amazon with it? They only gave like thirty million, which cost the same as Nathan Nakia. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I, I started yeah. comparing it to football yeah, player yeah, fees. Exactly. Uh, I, Harry Maguire was like part of the. <laughs> Harry Maguire is eighty-five million, and then it said that they've uh, they've declared thirty million or so twenty the million. Forest is worth Harry Maguire's leg. Yeah, <laughs> and he's he's quite average as well. Oh, Notre Dame, right? I mean, look at that. Yeah. So you know, yeah. so Notre Dame burns down. Everyone, you know, in everyone's like LVMH and all those bosses are going like, I'm going to give a billion dollars. We're going to make a bit. Mm. Uh, excuse me, uh, Amazon on fire. But that, why? Didn't... Why is that? That baffles me. Because mm. there's they'll get the money back probably from Notre Dame. I guess well, it's PR based, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's, it's probably PR something that's local, and you can stick your own logo. Oh, yeah. on the front and also of the it. rainforest. They're going to go. Oh, but everyone's going to throw money into that. It's Notre Dame. Mm. Like it's it's again, it's standing out. It's egotistical movement. It's... Leo DiCaprio is a massive advocate, isn't he? For well, saving the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of people out there doing stuff, and what we need to do is actually shift that into action. So it's like lots and lots of money will will be useful, and I shouldn't, you know, let's not, you know, this is we're currently living in a system where that is the cut. Of course, no, that's what we yeah. need, right, to make things change in a big way, and it could be just by helping support those poor farmers on the borders of the Amazon who don't have enough money and then need to burn, you know burn stuff to get grazing stuff because we've got a demand for meat. This is that inequality thing. It's not just like going, you know, there's a, there's a poor farmer there. If he had enough money, he wouldn't need to burn the Amazon, right? But that's not going to get caught, sort of, that's something you can do in retrospect. You can't then give him loads of cash and be like, let's sort this out. But it's about balancing this massive global inequality where there's billionaires and there's another, there's billions of people who don't have enough, right? And if we balance this and we change the... the means of consumption and the way that we all live as alongside that mm. then we need a sort of fairer more equal system and i think it's like inequality and there's a is, is a sort of the crux of what we're about because um there's a, a thing you sometimes hear at protests called where people talk about climate justice mm. and you hear people go what do we want climate justice where do we want it now and you'd be like ah oh, Cured. And I remember thinking when I first joined and was more cynical, I was like, Dark like, you know, what, what is that like naff phrase that everyone keeps saying? It doesn't mean anything. Well, it turns out it's like extremely vital to absolutely everything. This is like the crux of what we do. Climate justice has three axes to it, if you think about of inequality. The first is what we do in the West has a massive unequal effect on the rest of the planet. So like our consumption habits, our need for like burgers, whatever it is, like us flying around the world, living high carbon lifestyles, getting new trainers, all the stuff we all just do standard, right? It has a massive, massive unequal effect on all those other people who are involved in the manufacturing and the resource yeah. retrieval and all the rest of it. The other one is an axis of intergenerationality. What that means is basically what we do as humans now in the present has a massive unequal effect on inequality on the people living in the future so future generations so if you're a kid now your life's going to be rubbish compared to ours yeah? and that's because of what we've done in the present and we need to basically redress that balance by being better now so that people in the future can have a more equal you know better time and the third axis which isn't talked a lot about but i think is super vital because we're not just about climate change in, in extinction rebellion we're also about like the ecological side of things and that is that what we do as humans this third axis of inequality has a massive massive effect on the rest of the biosphere that means like all the fish all the microplankton all the you know cellular whatever it's not just the animals with the big eyes who are all disappearing all the children's book animals that are all be gone very shortly it's just like every part of everything we touch 
gets fucked because we're, we're humans and we just love consuming stuff. Do you mm. know what really fucked wow. me off? Is when I went to, um, well, I lived in Malaysia and there's beautiful reefs over there. And I remember 10 years ago, it was colourful and so many mm. fish. And I literally went back last year and it was just grey. And I was like, what the fuck? And the it's worst so thing is, as I hate, you know, when tourists go over and they say, do not step on the coral, and they just literally just trod everywhere. I know I'm going really off yeah, topic yeah. here, but no, it just no. really fucks this, me off. This is the anecdotal stuff which mm. we just don't talk about. So the other one is people driving cars, right? In the 80s, even. I remember you'd have to stop your car like as a kid mm. um, not that I was driving but like <laughs> yeah screaming down the road um, no but like you know you'd stop the car and the parents get out and they'd wipe all the dead bugs off the, ins- off the windscreen right now you drive four hours went to a festival to do a That's talk true. the other day oh, there's nothing true. there it's this tiny anecdotal stuff which actually just says a huge amount I remember going on holiday to the Mediterranean right going to Italy or France as a kid and you go in the sea and you have a swim around in the med and you'd be like oh this is great this little fish bumbling around and da-da-da-da. you know it's all just felt like a sort of you know, like oh, it was yeah. in the children's books, right? Went on holiday a few years ago um, and we went diving. We had these like little jet sort of underwater toy things where you could kind of hold on to the back of it and it takes you right down. And they're these quite snazzy ones. It was this friend of mine and he had like this all nice boat and it was all cool. And I thought, oh, this is glamorous. And we went down like James Bond style, you know, these like snorkels on looking around. And it was absolutely terrifying. I remember just going right down there and we must have been a few meters under and looking around and there's just nothing there. There's like no reason wow. to be underwater and you couldn't tell up from down. And it was like a computer game and they just pushed the button to render the fish and they just unrendered all the animals. Mm. It was just this like <sighs> mist and there was nothing there. And it's just like a desert. It's a desertified area. And that's what you get when you see rolling fields of Scotland or rolling fields, whatever, or monoculture or just rows and rows of nice trees around the place. That is a desert as well. It's basically carbon in, like emitting, right? It may look green, but mm. it's not. It's just... Like there's the the soil is fucked. There's no insects around. It's just like land based for consumption. It's desertification. It's creeping in. It's not supporting wildlife in any capacity. It may look like you know nice and manicured, but you know when we talk about rewilding and things that are necessary, if stuff looks like shit, if there's just like trees and bramble everywhere and the whole thing, stuff that isn't manicured and humanly touched, that's what the sort of, that's what nature looks like. And we've got this kind of completely sanitized version where things need to look like tended or kind of, you know, like Epcot Center or Mm -hmm. Disney or something. It's bullshit. It just needs to look like, we need to just unpick that. Would you bring a child up in this world? Uh, I think... I've got friends having kids and I just sort of think, fuck, that kid is going to have an absolute horror. Well done for bringing it up now where it will still have some kind of... I I remember a time before the internet and mobile phones, right? And then smartphones. So I feel I've covered both sides of that. Kids growing up now will probably remember, you know, their baseline is set as being like, oh, everything's quite nice and it'll get worse. Whereas if you're born in like five years' time, you'll remember things are just being worse. You know, no one's got a sense of like what came before them. I don't remember like horses on the street or whatever. But like... Uh, yeah I'd like to have kids but will they grow up I don't know you know like will they see adulthood I just don't know like I'd hope so I'd hope that we do something drastic and this will get sorted out I mean I think when kids are you know saying they're playing for their lives or they're going out in the streets and protesting they literally are doing that Mm -hmm. like we are that is the best example for that yeah totally but that that would never that would never have happened thirty years ago in itself. Well, no, if, funnily enough, it did. Oh, did it really? t- this is the most terrifying thing. If you want to know about how 
how nothing's happened, right? In 1992, there was a thing called the Rio Summit, right? Which was like the big climate get-together when there was... To be honest, if they had done something then, we could have all just had incremental changes to the way we live now and everything would be tickety-boo, right? Honestly, if we'd done something about this 30 years ago, we wouldn't have to do something drastic. Extinction Rebellion wouldn't have to exist and we could all keep eating burgers till the cars come home. Is that... that (laughs) makes sense. But But like, basically, in 1992 girl called Severin Suzuki, who I think was 12 or 13. And this is worth watching on YouTube because it's just freakish because it's so similar to Greta. Gets up on stage and goes, I'm just a girl and I'm a child and you guys don't, you know, aren't listening to the children. And it's like, oh shit. And everyone gets up and claps and wipes away a tear and then goes back to exactly what they're doing <laughs> for the last, you know. And you just go, fuck, this has all happened before we've had a previous Greta. This is not the first, you know, this is like... Severin Suzuki. Well, I, I will never forget in school, in, in Inconvenient Truth, they tried showing us that with Al Gore. Yeah. And that was then. And it's like 20 years later. And yeah. It's Still. obviously got worse. And What's going to change? Because I realise we've got too much time. Well, no, yeah. that then covers denial, doesn't it? Well, it's, 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 you want this, yeah. Well, I live in denial, I'm not going to lie. Every day, because I, when I listen to you now, I personally, and this is selfish, I feel quite low. And I feel like this would... I don't know if it does, but it sort of consume me on a daily basis. And maybe it has to. That's how I can make change. But I'll wake up thinking, what's the point of me living here? And that's how I would feel. And that's why I'm in denial. I think that is a totally natural reaction to getting terrible news about the future and about the present that you probably weren't considering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though you invited me on here, you knew a bit about Extinction Rebellion, you're all kind of braced to, you know, hear some like, well, let's get stuck into the apocalypse here, yeah? Mm-hmm. But the reality is this is like actually happening in real life here and we're going to walk outside this room and we're all going to kind of get on with our day a bit. But like, what happens, we find, when we do this talk and grief comes in many different ways and mm-hmm. part of it can be denial. Some people just go, do you know what, I'm not having this. I'm going to double down on my like not believing it it's crap and that's where the conspiracy theories come in people start worrying about 5g instead mm. or ai mm. and the reality is that like <laughs> seen 5g, you know, like, 5G. it's just tim four hats for everyone yeah? yeah but like it's not gonna like change the fact that this is the big bastard elephant in the room that's about to trample everything um and then some people have a tear like i did this talk to an advertising agency we do a thing called the talk and we get invited into various places to do it. And it's called Heading for Extinction and What to Do About It, the Extinction Rebellion Talk. Now just the talk, because it's sort of been around a lot. And went into an, and a friend of mine texted me going, Will, have you just done the talk at this advertising agency? Because I've just seen three people crying outside. And I was like, uh, yeah, I have actually. And it's just like exactly where I've just been. Spreading joy over uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like evil Santa. Yeah, I was going to say, fucked up Santa. <laughs> so, so it's just like, you know, I think there's a load of different ways people get their head around this and some people just go shit I'm going to get on with doing loads of stuff I'm going to join Extinction Rebellion I'm going to go out and do school strikes I'm going to... and then they'll just completely throw themselves into like a 72 hour tweet-a-thon freak out burn out and just disappear and go fuck it I'm not going to do anything about it again because they just can't cope and what we're trying to do is foster an atmosphere in which people can go right I am getting my head around this I'm beginning to get my head around this but I'm not going to do it alone and this is the crux of it individual behaviour is really you know isn't going to make a difference to the way we solve this crisis it always has to be about coming together to deal with this and what extinction rebellion also offers i'd say and what i found amazing comfort in is being surrounded by loads of super nice smart interesting 
very talented people who are all deeply concerned about the climate crisis and the ecological crisis too. And it's by doing things together and sort of, you know, holding hands in this process that you feel like you're kind of held and you kind of go, shit, right, I can cope with this and we can do structured action to make change. Mm. And it is that coming together that is just so vital. And we're living in a world where, you know, I keep thinking about these in anecdotal terms, but like in the old days, if you had a computer game, right, it was you and a couple of mates gathered around a Super Nintendo playing Mario Kart and all screaming at the screen, right? Now it's thousands of potential school shooters all over the country in their own rooms, dialing up their own pizzas and their own consoles, talking you know, on the internet to other invisible people. Mm. There's no actual getting together. There's no, no community so around that. There's, and that's perhaps why people are looking towards festivals or experiences, experiential stuff. Mm. People are beginning to realize that you can't buy community just because you've got a Nike jumper on somebody else does too. If you all come together, no one gives a shit. Like It's much more important that people get together in person and that's why we do so much of our activity is like face-to-face contact Mm. rather than just doing like you know webinars or kind of it's about being in a room it's that human yes. touch and it's like bringing us back to like what we're really about once we all get past the branding yeah. and the bullshit which is what wow. i did for a living i love the depth of that it's almost like you know sapiens i'm sure you read the book when you hear yeah. about the tribes and how we used to go around as hunter gatherers but that like we were just thinking about even the dog days like we sort of nutted it down we're like okay what could we how do we build a community and da, da, da. then suddenly we're like oh yeah events that's the most obvious way to get everyone around together in a in a place but you f- my brain didn't even go there i just thought of like this phone i had in my hand or like a computer yeah. i got to foster a community you can do great stuff don't get me wrong digital is amazing like we've managed to grow in 63 countries got hundreds of thousands of followers people know where to be when you know like let's not like how amazing technology has yeah. been but like everything we've ever done is going to be rendered completely irrelevant if the food runs out like just no one's going to give a shit like who got the high score on what I think you made like a quite interesting point when you talk about individually and you say individually we can't do anything because I think as well, humans mentally well we can yeah. but I mean as humans we want to see reward right when we do yeah. something we, we like reward we like instant to know that reward. we're doing something so exactly mm-hmm. instant reward so I think with Extension rebe- Rebellion I think you've got that driving purpose of you actually are making a huge difference and you're saving the world together. Whereas when you're individual, you sort of, okay, I didn't have any plastic today. You don't see that instant reward. You, you, you give up. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's, it is really tough because we can all make a difference if everyone decided to go vegan overnight or whatever. And again, like that's just you know something that happens to be out there in terms of, you know, the moment we talk about the rainforests and all that cattle stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just using that as an example. Or like if everyone just went, right, we're not flying. And I've signed up for a no fly 2020 which is online and there's a thing called the fashion boycott as well which is no new clothes you just don't need any new clothes this is just again like try a few of these little tests as an individual and see what happens right just just see how long you can go without booking a flight and plus i've just since i stopped flying i've had way more fun when people say that they're into traveling i'm now like well are you really because when i get on a plane when i used to get on a plane it was like teleporting across the planet you go into a special box and 12 hours later you're suddenly on the other side of the world and the temp- you know that's it Right, and it's people looks like Camden Market. You didn't even need to leave. It's the same touristy <laughs> shit that you got everywhere else, so right? True. It's not like anywhere's even different anymore. They still aspire to having a Soho house in Tulum, right? Yeah. It's all fucked. There's an Irish so, pub in Thailand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the centre park's much easier. No, but now you get on a train, you go somewhere, you have a real sense of like what travelling is, or yeah. moving on a cycle a lot more and take internationally. And you realise there's all this infrastructure there, and we need more of it to support people to do that. But it is just such an amazing, more rewarding, more human experience doing these things and you realize that you don't need new clothes you just literally don't need them and no one gives a shit no one's going to judge you for it either and the same goes for like food like i might i'm still having like the nicest feeling healthier 
I went to a wedding the other day. It's vegan. You know that point where you have a big sort of meaty meal and then you all have to dance? And I just find myself like croaking and farting in a corner for half an hour before kind of... Like, gone. Vegan food. Amazing. I'm all about it. I'm telling you. Like, waste... No more stinky steak uh, do you, So Do you still have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. Quotes. No more stinky steak <laughs> um, Do you still have friends that don't like what you say? Uh, have you got rid of those kind of guys? Or I don't, I never, I, I think most of my friends have been fairly open-minded about stuff. Mm. And like, I, yeah, I, I've i got a friend, no, everyone, I feel like everyone is beginning to wake up to the climate crisis. Mm. What I used to have was people going, oh yeah, Will, I heard you're doing some really great stuff. Oh yeah, have a banana, brilliant, like great, whatever. And now they're calling me up after the Amazon went down, as in like after that. And that was good news. for... Yeah, something happened. It was not yeah. great for the planet. It was no, great but... for raising awareness. And I've had like everyone being like, like my LinkedIn's blown up. Facebook. I mean, it's like something like someone like I've done this all star tweet overnight. <laughs> Suddenly, my inbox is full, and it's just everyone I've ever spoken to for the last few years being like, "Oh, Will, you know that uh, climate thing you're doing? Uh, like, how do I get involved with that? Actually, uh, a little jump bit on and, a bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. the ones with kids suddenly, like, all oh, the ones yeah, who, yeah, yeah. It's suddenly giving a shit, and you're like, wow. But do you is... think they actually gave a shit? I felt like you posted it. I felt like some people were just. Well, I'll save our Amazon. I'm like, not I, digging I, you yeah, out, but, but it, no, it, it, it's not like anything, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's just like death, because it was fashionable. It. it was like it was it was cool, but yeah. that's that's. I guess that's what you need. Though. I'd say that's almost part of the the sort of denial grieving process. Mm. And at some point, you go wait, and that's something we can. We're not going to call anyone out, but we definitely like if you were bothered about the Amazon, maybe you should be bothered about coming down to Extinction Rebellion, mm. and that's like a stepping stone. And again, we're not asking everyone to immediately go out and get arrested. We're not asking anyone mm. to get arrested. It's like a really useful part of our sort of tactical toolbox. But like, you just need to come out on the streets and come out and support and come out and have like a massive, amazing free party surrounded by incredible people for free that costs nothing that's just going to change the world. Mm. Like, that's the bit. It's like, come out and watch thousands of other people block a street before you decide to block one yourself. And make that leap. What are you then telling the governments to do at this point? So when you're protesting, so, yeah. so what, what, is the, what is the call to action? It's really fulfill our three demands. So okay, tell, the, yeah. tell the truth, carbon net zero 2025 and halt biodiversity loss and how do, we, how do we join? How do we join? It's super simple. Um, what have you so, got planned this year? I've heard there's well, something coming yeah, up. So the, the first the thing is block out a few dates in your diary. October. Depending on when this goes live, September the 20th, we've got school strikes. That's Greta Thunberg. That's not Extinction Rebellion, but we are big supporters of everything she does. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she's saying, I want everyone to come out on Friday and, and support her support the strikes. And that means all adults too so you don't have to be a kid for this stuff no. it's like 20th and the 27th the week later is like everyone get out there and go on strike yeah it's like a general strike that's when you go out and you quit work and you just go out and you tell everyone why you're doing it you don't go out and just be like a pull a sickie you, you, you make a stand, them, right? a stand yeah. yeah and you go out and you'll find there's hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people hopefully getting out for that Okay. Following on from that, right? Sorry, just happen, just where is that happening? That's happening all over the country. So you just don't go to work or yeah, you go gonna, somewhere. And again, that's trying to have an economic impact as well. Do you go to a destination? I think there are going to be sort of focal yeah. points for this. Yeah. So maybe Parliament, Trafalgar Square, those kind of places. Parliament, every time you go past well, that's there. That's where the power lies. Yeah, yeah. That, I went past there on the weekend. There's so, not even just climate change. That's where everything is at the moment. Totally, isn't it? because that's what, where you need to lobby. You know, yeah. That's why oil dudes go down to. Is that why they've closed it? They've closed Parliament as well to do that. Having a think, like just because that's how everyone has always protested. I feel like Extinction Rebellion is like the first ever non-traditional um, protesting movement. But wouldn't it be cool if you just did it at like 
working train station or Waterloo like random places when we drove past remember we, when we had Nicole Arby we drove, yeah. through, we drove past yeah they were kids and they were yeah. and us adults were just angry world. yeah they were all they were kids doing it and we felt like what are we what doing what are we doing driving through <laughs> London in a BMW <laughs> yeah. going, going to Soho House yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. to have a beer we did give them a beer and then they said turn the engine off we're like no we have to drive on sorry <laughs> that's the truth you want the truth yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the truth but look like this isn't then following on from these school strikes right which are happening all over the country mm. we've got the 27th um, sorry on the on the 7th of October we're all going to be coming back as Extinction Rebellion and doing a massive massive like we did in April that lots of people didn't think we'd you know, would happen. Mm. And we showed, we show, you know, no one knew whether Extinction Rebellion was going to be a thing or not. They were like, oh yeah, a bunch of oh, hippies, whatever. We took over central London for 11 days. It was fucking awesome. What we were you doing? Down, Where were you? I built that skateboard ramp with some friends and stuck that on the bridge. Uh, and then oh, nice. did organise one of the critical mass cycle rides around town. That's when all the people on bikes get together. By the way, again, it's like building community. Yeah. We had like 200 cyclists going around London in like en masse. It was like, you know, so this yeah, is the most fun do a thing. thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> bring the crew out. Yeah, Record a podcast from the street. We'll like, do it. Any, oh wow, yeah, we're trying to get content. companies to do like, um, you know, like, like uh, what's it called, offsites. Just mm. block a road. Yeah, take yeah, your take six hundred people out on the street and get your internet. And nice. you part of the rebellion. That'd be awesome. That's it. It's like we need everyone to get a generator can get... that's not a bad generator. We, we did a whole thing solar powered. It's mad. Oh, but solar like, power. But, um, solar power podcasts. Yeah, I mean, hell's yeah. Do it live <laughs> in the streets and get people. But it's like there's so many ways to get involved, it, and that's happening from the seventh onwards. Okay. Um, October seventh. Yeah, okay. and there'll be other actions happening around the country or wherever you are but join an Extinction Rebellion group or just come down to that massive event and support and we don't do any drinking during the protest we don't get like stoned on the protest right. like the whole thing is about trying to just keep it like remembering that this is a protest it's not an A to B march yeah, it's not We're a not party from, yeah it's mm -hmm. not a party they, I mean it feels like one yeah, it's yeah. amazing there's loads of music and it's fun and it's great but it's just not we're there for really serious reasons yeah, I can't think of, of anything more serious so we do keep this like order and again it means that when the police start cracking down they're not like oh it's a bunch of pissed up like yeah, dickheads yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. no we're here we know exactly what we're doing here right. so it's the most exhilarating, exhilarating, fun thing. It's unbrandable. It's uncommodifiable. It's not something like a, you can buy. It's just like turn up and do it. It's mm. the most real thing you're going to do. And it's fucking mind-changing. Honestly, it's the most... I, I, yeah, I, feel, I sound like... I, can't, I get lost for words thinking about it because mm. it was so ridiculously legit. And I've worked in brand strategy. All the supreme jumpers in the world won't sort of save us. Like, this is just the bit where we go out and we do something as people. And the... Jumpers and clothing people wear, say, have words that are uncommodifiable, like things like humility, empathy, frugality. Mm. And those are the new words we're going to have to need to get through the next century. And that's, like, got a lot more value than brand culture, which, to be honest, like, you said people are happy with where things are at the moment. I don't think they are happy. I no. don't think anyone's happy, really. Just denial, we're just yeah. in denial, yeah. and we need to get through that and realise that together I think, we are all... I think it's the opposite. I think we're severely unhappy, so we don't yeah. want to be even unhappier for a real ecological issue or fruit. And that's exactly why our protests are happy. That is exactly it. Because you come along and you feel like you're a part of a community, you're part mm. of a thing, and it is like genuinely euphoric. And people felt like on absolute downer when they ended. Mm. People were like, everyone in Extinction Rebellion was on a major come down. Because <laughs> you're like, this is the most... Um, it's to make you build a community on a bridge. Mm. And people feel really protected. That's why people get arrested. Because they're like, 
holding this space. You guys are sleeping there in tents, right? Yeah, loads like, of people. You like, can go home if you want. Yeah, do whatever you want. But the whole thing is about not just turning up and doing a march and then fucking off for the rest of the week and coming back and doing it again. I love it. It's about holding yeah. the ground, holding the space, yeah. and that's it. Well, yeah, I was going to say it because it, some people love it because they didn't have to work, they didn't have to do their duties as a human in this bad society. So I guess as long as people are generally they're talking about the topic and then they go and make action it makes sense yeah. sorry the time put me yeah, off yeah, my no, question no no it's fine it's, got in my head uh, stop question. we'll have to ask one stop question that's all we've got time for unfortunately it'll be a very um, interesting answer yeah, yeah I mean Jesus Christ probably the most powerful person to ask this question to but William yes uh, you have a room full of 21 year old people uh, and you have a mega microphone you've probably had this opportunity before but what would you say uh, into that microphone um, the government isn't going to act no one is going to do anything to save you and you have your future is at stake and we've already made it a lot worse it's going to get worse and you need to get together and start thinking about how you can make a radical difference to the, to your for your future and i recommend joining us on the streets on the 7th of october um around the world whichever capital city you're in come and join extinction rebellion this is how we win Wow. Hashtag join the rebellion. Wow, that was amazing. William, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so for having much. me. Really appreciate Cheers, it. Mate. Cheers, Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at Dog Days Pod. Leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week.